0: This is Passing for Normal. Conversations with authors, artists, activists, and awakeners about how they are seeding change in the world. I'm Sharon Weil, author of Donnie and Ursula Save the World, the funniest book about love, sex, and GMO seeds you'll ever read. But mostly, it's about everyday courage and what it takes to get there in your own personal, even unconventional way. So join us for fun and insightful discussion with some very inspirational people about how to turn purpose and passion into action, while at the same time... Passing for Normal. Hello and welcome to Passing for Normal. Today my wonderful guests are Tom Verner and Janet Fredericks. Together they are magicians without borders. They travel the world bringing love, laughter, and magic to refugee and orphan children in many of the most war-torn, difficult, and forgotten places in the world. Since 2003, they have performed for over 600,000 children in countries like Haiti, Sudan, Somalia, Burma, and Bangladesh. They also perform in VA hospitals around the United States and train warrior wizards to perform magic for veterans and their families. They are two of the loveliest, most talented, compassionate, and entertaining people you will ever meet. Welcome, Tom and Janet.
1: Well, thank you, Sharon. It's great to be here. Yeah, happy to be here, Sharon.
0: I just want... I'm so happy for you to be here, and I just want our listeners to know that we just spent time together in Baja, California, playing with the gray whales.
1: Unbelievable. It was amazing.
0: I know. What a precious time that was. So, to begin... Tom you call yourself a recovering psychologist and professor and Janet you are a beautiful fine artist so how did the two of you become a magician and his silent mime assistant named LaFleur mm.
1: <laughs> Well um the recovering psychologist is is sort of a joke but but it's not in some ways I'm it feels like a profession that is constantly in uh process of defining itself. For 45 years or so, I've been a psychologist, a magician, and a professor, and when we started Magicians Without Borders 12 or 13 years ago, it was as if all three of those parts of myself came together in, in some wonderful way. And um, do you want to yeah, say
2: and, anything? And at the same time, I discovered a part of myself um, uh, an alter ego, I would say, uh, LaFleur, <laughs> <Le> <laughs> who emerged um, out of uh, a need that Tom had uh, when he was performing to uh, engage people before and after the show so he could set up and take down his, his show. And um, so I said, I'd like to be a part of it. And uh, I created a character, uh, Lafleur, who just came to me in a, in a vision and um, apprenticed myself to mime and uh, other theater people uh, that we knew and um, <laughs> ventured out on this new path.
0: That's incredible. So can you describe what the work of Magicians Without Borders is? What is it that you're
1: doing? Well, um, let me just say kind of what inspired uh, us to start this. Um, I was traveling to a a meeting in Eastern Europe in 2001, in the fall, and uh, through an amazing set of circumstances, I ended up in the refugee camps in Kosovo. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And the very first camp I went into... Um, I was introduced to this little girl. She was only six years old. Her name was Fatima. And I was told she was going to be my guide that day. Mm. And I was told that she knew everybody in the camp and everybody knew Fatima. So we were together all day. She would help me. She was just one of those really bright little kids. I spoke no Roma, no Serbo-Croatian. She spoke no English. And yet we really seemed... Uh, To communicate. It came time to leave. I was talking to some Roma women and Fatima was standing beside me. I said goodbye to the women. I turned to say goodbye to Fatima and she was gone. And I said to the Roma women, where's Fatima? And they said, well, we thought she was with you. And I said, no, she isn't. She was all day, but she's gone. And I felt badly that I wasn't going to get to say goodbye to her. So I, they said they would say goodbye to her for me. So I take my magic props over to the car, and I look in, and there's Fatima <laughs> hiding on the floor oh. of the back seat of the car, wanting to run away oh. with the circus. Yes, the literally. Magician. <laughs> so the uh, Roma women came over. She was a good Roma kid. She took her best shot. It didn't work, but she was uh, smiling, waving us down the road. So, we came to a little town um, called Shutka, and it really wasn't a refugee camp, but it was. Uh, my UN driver said it was swollen with refugees, and he said, life is terrible in Shutka, they need some magic in Shutka. Let's do a show for the people of Shutka. So, we go in, we set up our stuff in the town square, and within a few minutes, there were like 350 people. Wow. Um, and so the show went well and uh, it ended, and people dispersed except for one old, wild looking Roma woman with a big head wrap and gold teeth and mirrors all over her dress, and a small group of Roma men standing to my left. And so the woman, she comes up to me and she drops a coin into my hand, and somehow I knew it wasn't a tip, <laughs> and she points, to, she points to it, and she had seen me multiply flowers and sponge balls and all kinds of things, but she points to the money and says, make more money. Mm-hmm. So I laughed, but um, she was completely serious. You know, so, I take the coin, I put it in my hand, I squeeze it, and I open my hand, and there's a big chunk of what looks like gold. Um, And I offer it to her, and she's mildly amused, but she says, No, no, money, more money." money. I throw the gold back in my hand, and I squeeze it, and I open it, and there is a 50. Denner Macedonian gold coin, about 10 times what she had given me. Mm -hmm. It's still only eight cents, but she was totally thrilled. And I drop it in her hand. She walks away smiling. Instantly, those two Roma men, or those two of the Roma men, say, Make us visas to America. (laughs) And I laughed. But I looked at them, and they were also completely serious. They had just seen money multiply tenfold, and surely I could produce a visa out of the air. But I told them I didn't, unfortunately, know that trick. So the end of the day came, I'm sitting in this little place in um, Skopje, Macedonia, and I'm thinking about, this is the first time I've ever been in a refugee camp. Uh, Lafleur and I have been in Hundreds of refugee camps now, but um, that was the first time. And I was thinking about what happened. And two things struck me. I didn't realize that the seeds of Magicians Without Borders was planted that day. Mm -hmm. First thing I realized was nobody spoke English. And I didn't speak their language. But we all spoke magic. And magic, all of a sudden, I realized... I'd been doing magic for 30-some years. was a universal language. It That's was amazing. Beautiful. And the other thing, and I thought of this refugee, a Jewish refugee from Hungary who came to America in the late 19th century with his rabbi father and mother and brother and sister. His name was Eric Weiss. And he. we now know him as Harry Houdini. Mm. And Eric... Um, Harry Houdini once said, sometimes when I do magic, especially for poor people, it not only amazes and amuses, but it sometimes awakens hope that the impossible is possible. And I said, that's what I saw today. Mm -hmm. Fatima saw magic. She thought, maybe I can get out of Moment Potok. And those men from Shutka saw magic. And they said, maybe we can go to America and realize our hopes and dreams. So that's the cornerstone of Magicians Without Borders. Magic is a language and it can inspire hope that the impossible is possible.
0: That's so beautiful. So what do you think it is about magic that inspires hope? What, I mean, because, in fact, these some of these are tricks, right? There are illusions, but... So, what I, is it that that uh, kindles the imagination?
1: I don't, do you have any thoughts about that uh, <laughs> do you want me to start
2: and, i I think you ought to start on that one
1: okay well, I think, like I said, I think that the unlike maybe even some of the other performing arts, which certainly can be marvelous for you know bringing hope and happiness and Um, to people, and joy, and magic has this, it's magic, you know, (laughs) I mean, it really kind of awakens this sense that maybe, maybe the impossible is possible, and I think it happens um, on a very profound level, you know,
2: yeah, I think there's mystery, there's mystery all around us, and um, it's very mysterious to see somebody make things disappear and then reappear, even if you know it's a trick. Yes, I mean that's even yeah, that's even better sometimes. Um, that that uh, the ball can uh, return or the silk scarf returns, and where was it? And how is it that I didn't see where that went to? So. You know, if he can make it happen, maybe there's, you know, maybe there's hope that
0: something, you know, some greater power can
2: make something happen. Does
0: that make sense? Yes, it does. Well, in fact, you know, I had the pleasure of seeing you, Tom, perform. And, you know, I have those same questions. I'm like, well, where did it go? (laughs) Well, how are you doing that? Well, you know, how um, how can someone affect change like that? And like you were saying, um, Janet, it's like, well, what am I not seeing? What you know? And in terms of something that feels hopeless, well, what am I not seeing? Maybe there is something else. If I only saw it, if I only saw it differently, Uh the situation could change.
1: Yeah, and and the folks we often perform for, you know, um, before we started doing this work. Um, I think we imagine that refugee camps were places where people went, you know for like six months or a year maybe, and then the war, you know blows over, comes to an end or and they go back home. but the people we perform for have been in camps for um
2: 20 years 20 years 20 you know, 15 years. 20
1: years no no all over the world people are in camps. We were in a camp <clears throat> in, Afghanistan, uh, Iran border, and um, it was a wonderful. We went into the camp, and this wonderful Afghan elder met us and welcomed us. And um, he said, "Where would you like to perform?" And, and we said, "Well, we'd like to maybe perform in an inside space if we could, but if not, outside will be fine." So he got this kind of little puzzled look on his face, and. He said, "Ah, he said our only inside space is the mosque." He said, "But we'd be honored to have you perform in the mosque." Hmm. So Lafleur and I did a show for 500 girls, and then 500 boys. And afterwards, this we were having tea with the elder, and he said, and and he expressed the magic uh, the. MISSION OF MAGICIANS WITHOUT BORDERS AS WELL AS ANYBODY. um, HE SAID, YOU KNOW, I'VE BEEN IN THIS CAMP FOR 17 YEARS SINCE THE SOVIET INVASION OF uh, AFGHANISTAN. AND HE SAID, YOU'RE THE FIRST ENTERTAINERS TO EVER COME TO THIS CAMP. AND HE SAID, THE INTERNATIONAL AGENCIES, THEY TAKE SUCH GOOD CARE OF US. THEY GIVE US uh, SHELTER, FOOD, CLOTHING, SECURITY. He said, but, and I don't mean any blame, he said, but I think sometimes they imagine we're only bodies. Mm. He said, but mm. today you fed the minds and imaginations of those children, and they'll be thinking and talking about this show for many, many months. So God bless you, and please, please come again. Wow. So that's another way, I guess, that we awaken a certain kind of yes. hope or imagination.
2: Uh, the, they feel seen, mm-hmm. you know, they, mm-hmm. where um, they've been forgotten, and uh, when we come from America, a wealthy, um, you know, prosperous country, uh, and we come you know, not asking for anything, in fact we do all our shows for free. Uh Um, And the fact that we come into a refugee camp and perform for them somehow means a lot, and that we um, often with interpreters, we can talk with these people and we share um, stories besides our magic, Uh, Uh and often uh, I'm invited into the women's, you know, Uh um, huts and uh, they love to hear the stories, and and so we're, we're citizen diplomats, too, at the same mm. time, and uh, I think that's, in some ways, that, that um, may inspire some hope that that they've been seen by us. Yes, and absolutely. When,
1: when, yeah. when Janet says seen, I mean, we've been in refugee camps, say in Sudan, where we had to drive in a Land Rover for ten hours along a road that the UN built to get to the refugee camp, mm-hmm. and these people live, mm-hmm. and they really often feel the world has forgotten them. Yeah. you know they're so yeah. far from their home, and they're so far from anywhere. You know because these are huge camps, yeah. thirty, forty thousand people. You know.
2: yeah, some, sometimes these people can't go back to their um, countries because they've lost their citizenship. Um, They're no longer recognized as uh, Sudanese or Bhutanese.
0: And is that that because of the change in government or is that because they've just been gone so long? Why is that?
1: Or they've been gone so long or their village has been completely yeah. destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have nowhere to go, you know? yeah. um, and they also have no legal status. That's often in the in the country, you know, that's wonderful to host them, but they don't have any legal mm-hmm. status, so they can't get a job, or they yeah. can't, like, and they whatever. can't go home. Right. Something that I, I do. You have any thoughts or? Anything you want to say right now? Well, I wanted to
0: ask you how you choose the places where you go.
1: Um, Initially, um, we chose um, Ethiopia. That was the very first place, and that was a choice on our part. And that was primarily um, because I think we chose it because it had so many refugees. You know, it has a 2,000-mile border with Sudan. It borders Somalia. It borders Eritrea. And all three of those countries, there's been, you know, terrible wars, protracted wars. So they host millions of of refugees over the years. And so we went there, and then we met people and UN staff who are often... You know, it might be a Bangladeshi man and a um, a a Bosnian and an American and a Frenchman or whatever running the working in the camp, and so they say, oh, they would love this in Bangladesh or they would love this in you know wherever, and then they start um, suggesting places, and then we start getting invited to places, so we've pretty much stopped um, having to choose places, you know. We're, we're getting invited. Unless there's some natural disaster like the tsunami or Hurricane Katrina or something, we'll, we'll go there, you know, and perform for the people who've lost everything because of the hurricane or the tsunami or whatever. Um, but something we started about... Um, seven years ago. For the first half of uh, our history, we primarily just used magic to entertain. But now um, one of our young magicians said, you know what we do? Because we've started, we have groups of, three groups of children, four groups actually, around the world that we're training to become magicians. That's beautiful. And so our um uh, mission now is, thanks to one of our young magicians, Michael um, Muldoon, he said, you know what we do? We use magic to entertain, educate, and empower many of the most forgotten children in the world. So we have a group in El Salvador, a group in Bogota, and a group of boys uh, in an orphanage in Mumbai, and a group of girls in Mumbai, all of whom are daughters of sexually trafficked women in the brothels Mm. in in Mumbai. And we're training them to become magicians and we're using magic to help them develop, you know, self-confidence and discipline and focus and self-esteem by learning and practicing and performing magic. So
0: That's That's so incredible.
1: How long does it take? How long
0: does it take them to learn some of these magic uh, pieces?
1: Well, um, you know, they can they can learn. We go and we have very intensive kind of workshops with them and visits. And now we have um, magicians from those countries uh, who are working with them. When we're not there, they can get a pretty good little act together if they work at it. You know, like anything. Um, after about a year, I think mm-hmm. you know they can start performing. You know, um, together. Mm-hmm. You and know, some
2: of them have started performing. Yeah, um, in uh, orphanages or for orphans, uh, and uh, in um, El Salvador, uh, we had a group, and there were a couple, uh, two or three kids that were really good at it. And we took them to Guatemala and uh, to perform down there. Oh, that and was they did, they did a great job.
0: Well, that's that's so incredible. Um, so, you know that the purpose of this show, or my hope for the show, is that um, to inspire other people to ha- to take courage, to take the action that's in their own heart by listening to amazing people who are doing the same thing. And so it's important that I ask you this. It's so obvious that you are clearly doing work of the heart, and the places where you're going are so full of heartbreak. And so I really want to ask you: How do you face the heartbreak? How do you how do you work with it within yourself? How do you how are you able to go into? Um, such a dark space, and bring the laughter and the joy and the hope that you do.
2: Well, um, I think because we go in into these places um, to bring some fun and laughter, mm-hmm. and most most children still uh, are in touch with with that. Part of themselves that like, uh, you know that they they can access access their uh, their child like uh, mm-hmm. their child like
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
2: their person um, and um, so, <laughs> so sorry the cat is the
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little laughter uh,
2: there <laughs> so. so um, laughter, yeah. When when the kids are laughing and having a good time, we're having a good time, and they can forget for a while. And um,
1: you know, I I, I just cool. thought of of something. You know, there there really is a lot of sadness, and I think one of the things that early on we felt, and we would talk about this with each other, um. These these folks being um, isolated in these camps for so many years, these young people and you can just see it in their eyes. They're so bright and talented. And some of the kids we've met in these camps that that they're they're just shut off from life, from possibilities. You know, it's just day after day in the mm-hmm. refugee camps. You know, and they have so little. You know, and Something that happened in one of the very first camps, which we wouldn't have realized if we hadn't talked, as Janet said, to some of the folks afterwards. This man said, you know, we laugh, and we sometimes have a good time in our tukuls, in our little separate huts,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, among our families. He said, but today we laughed for the first time I can ever Remember, as a community, oh. we laughed, and it was really an amazing thing. He said, "You know, he said you brought us together as a community, and we laughed together, and um, that was a wonderful thing. You know, that we kind of take for granted, you know." Um, so yeah. um, we do. We do.
2: Um, we do see some pretty difficult things, you know, and. Um, Uh, at some of these places, at orphanages, I mean, sometimes just being in an orphanage and realizing that these children have no parents, you know, they don't really have anybody to hold them, and they're, they're, yes, sort of like families, but, um, you know, it really makes you think about how much we do have, you know, here in this country, how privileged we are, and it's um, we we do we bring back a sadness with us. I think sometimes we're not quite aware of it, and and then we we find ourselves uh, unexpectedly crying or you know being yep. agitated for some reason. Yes. What sure. is that about? And then we realize, yeah, we've just come back from some pretty amazing, seen some pretty amazing stuff, and. Of course we have to process it somehow.
1: We spend also a lot of time when we come back, um, like just last Friday I, I spent a couple of hours talking with a group of middle school kids, you know, about about refugees and, and, and Janet is really good at this when we talk to middle schoolers or high schoolers about inspiring them to find whatever it is they love, you know, whether it's soccer or math or um, art or whatever it is that they can use that, you know, that love to make the world a better place, you know, um, by tutoring or volunteering or going to hospitals or traveling with us. Some of them have now traveled with us. So uh, I think there's lots of, lots of things people can do, you know. but sometimes they are afraid, you know, that these places are so dangerous, you know. Um, and sometimes they are, but um, I, I think it's important to try to uh, uh, do whatever you can, wherever you can do it.
0: That's beautiful. Um, I saw you perform a trick where you tear up a piece of paper and you talk about it as you're tearing it, and then you chew it in your mouth, and I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you tell the story, but it seemed like a perfect metaphor for magic and hope.
1: Well, something that, um, early on, um, uh, along with that idea of hope, um, that making the impossible seem possible, I realized how magic shows are just filled with metaphors of hope you know even if you a simple one you take a piece of rope and you cut it clearly you cut it in half and then you put it in your hand and it's all healed and back together again you know Um, Mm -hmm. I think on some this is the psychologist in me I think on some level that gets communicated that the broken can be healed and the trick that you're referring to is often the way we end the show i have a piece of paper a long thin you know a piece of um like tissue paper and i talk about their lives imagine this is your life it was a good life you know you had friends and family and work and school and and then the war came or the hurricane came or tsunami came and your life fell apart and you lost your friends and a family, work, and as I say, each of those things, I tear another piece of paper off of of the whole piece, and I end up with a handful of, you know, shattered lives in pieces. and pieces, um, and I say, maybe with hope and courage and imagination and love, your life will come back together again, you know, and I try, and it doesn't work, and then they are saying magic words, and they... Uh, they really, really wanted to come back together. It's really Mm -hmm. amazing to see these folks looking at my hand as if it really matters, you know. And then I'll sometimes say, oh, I forgot something, you know. I say, no matter where we go, it seems like the spiritual teachings say our suffering can be like bread, and it can make us stronger and more beautiful sometimes. And I start eating the pieces of paper. (laughs) And... Then they all start saying magic words, and out of my mouth, Lafleur will often pull a 45 foot rainbow streamer. Uh, and all the pieces have come back together again into this beautiful rainbow streamer. And people beautiful. in the camps stand on their feet and they're just screaming and. This one man who worked for the UN, Mahari Maasho, he said to us one of the fir- after one of the first shows we did that he said, "You could just feel a wave of hope go through the audience." Mm. So, and we try to end each show with that particular uh, bit of magic.
0: It's it's truly it's truly a transformation that is beautiful,
1: and people can see us doing that on the. Uh, on our website great so let's talk about so let's talk about
0: your website um where can people find you and find out more about you and where can they give money donate to your cause because you are out there um supported solely by donations and sponsors so where can they find you
1: totally by individual donations. Uh, we have no big foundation support or anything like yeah. that.
0: They can go to
2: magicianswithoutborders, all one word, uh, .com. Um, even though we're a nonprofit, we um, we
1: ended up with .com. Through some glitch, we <laughs> lost .org, uh, but anyhow, it's .com. And, and there's
2: a donation button right on, on every page there. Uh, and they can contact us through, uh, by email,
1: through the website as well. And the uh, website is filled with wonderful stories and photographs and and a beautiful little six-minute film where you can see yes. the, that trick we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, our
2: team, Absolutely. we have a, a number of uh, volunteers uh, who travel with us, and um, they're on there. It's uh, and, you know, it's always in uh, in the process of being updated. So um,
1: if there's any magicians out there or clowns or artists who would like to travel with us, we would love you to get in touch with us. Oh, so, fantastic. Um, we could use your help.
0: So people actually could join the circus and do it for a very good cause.
1: They can run away with the circus. you know. Yeah. Um, uh, and if they can pay their own way. Um, that would be really wonderful. If not, if we can, we will. If-
0: well, it has been so wonderful speaking with the two of you, and uh, I thank you so much for all the amazing work that you're doing, the seeds that you are spreading, and um, the hope that you are imparting.
1: Well, thank, thank you, you for inviting no. us to be on uh, Passing for normal. (laughs) Something I try to do on a regular basis. I know. How you you doing? (laughs) How well are you doing? (laughs) We
2: feel that's just what we're
1: doing. (laughs) Normal is highly overrated.
0: I know. It sure is. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you, Sharon. This has been Passing for Normal. Conversations about seeding change in the world. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, Go to passingfornormal.com. That's passing, numeral 4, normal.com. Donnie and Ursula Save the World is available in paperback, Kindle, and soon to be an audiobook at DonnieandUrsula.com. So go out and do something brave today. M Earth and I thank you.